game. Respect all, fear none. Into the upper deck. Intensity is not a perfume. Hello, Utah Street. Five, four, three, two, one. From inside the Masson newsroom, it is the Masson All Access Podcast. Paul Mancano and Brendan Mortensen here with you live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. You could be listening after the fact on one of our many podcast platforms. And Brendan, I am most excited for this live chat because uh, my girlfriend's cousin, who's in seventh grade, has promised to dunk on us and roast us for the majority of this chat. So he's a Dodgers fan. Okay. Uh, very smart young kid. Uh, but he, look, as most seventh graders can do, he can he can bring the fire if he yeah. needs to. So I'm just waiting for, like, Dodger fan 14 to pop up in our YouTube chat and just start roasting the heck out of us. Yeah. I, I think it was John Mulaney that said it best that, like the seventh grade middle schoolers just like know how to roast you. They find the things that you're most sensitive about. Yeah. So, well, he's going to have to, I was going to say, he's probably going to have to get in line for, for all of the people that are already dunking on us. I mean, we've got, we've got the guy calling us, you know, the zit brothers, which is, you know, factually inaccurate. We're not brothers. Um, you know, we, we, we have our fair share of, of haters, but at least it made me feel a little bit more, a little bit better about the haters because I thought, okay, I have now met one of the haters and he confirms what I thought, which is he is in seventh grade. Well, look, so I respect it. I mean, a lot of, a lot of commenters will not say things to your face that they would say to you in a, in a comment section. He said, whereas this seventh grader, yeah, he will dunk on you in the comments and he will dunk on you in person. It's, and I respect the tenacity. I do too. I respect the honesty and, uh, you know, Good for him. Future Masson intern (laughs) at some point down the line. Future podcast host of the Masson All Access podcast. Uh, All right, Brendan, we got a lot to talk about today. We're going to be talking about the infield and what the 2021 remainder of the season, the September and a few games in October, might show us about the future of the Orioles infield. We're also going to be talking about the expanded roster because it does expand today, September 1st, and we will find out who the two guys are that join the Orioles, and then we're going to close out with a little MVO discussion, a little most valuable Oriole. I think we all know who's going to win, but the question is what order are the three uh, top candidates for the uh, most valuable Oriole award going to come in? So let's start with this infield. Let's do it. Because the Orioles finally appear to have the correct infield configuration this year, and it took quite a while. But finally, the fans have been satiated because we have Jemai Jones up at the major league level. We have Ramon Arias playing great baseball in several different positions. And then we have one of the best waiver claims of the past, of the Michael Elias era, I think you could say, at least so far, Jorge Mateo manning down the shortstop spot. You have three guys right now in the Orioles infield that may not make the Orioles infield one of the better infields in all of baseball, but it makes them at least fun to watch and at least entertaining. And I think it was pretty clear that this was the plan all along for the Orioles. You were going to exhaust all potential options in the infield until you were left with the guys that you thought deserved more of an extended audition. 
Jemai Jones certainly falls under that category of needing an extended audition. I think Jorge Mateo now falls under that category as well as a young former top prospect. But they have run through a lot of options yes. in the Orioles infield. I'm just going to throw out a, a fun little list here okay. of guys that are no longer in the Orioles infield. Yomer Sanchez didn't make the team out of camp. Rio <laughs> Ruiz, Stevie Wilkerson, Domingo Leba, Richie Martin, who might be back up at some point, but I'm still throwing him in there. Michael Franco, Pat Valleca, Freddie Galvis. Yeah. That's a lot of infielders yeah. that are no longer in this Orioles infield conversation for the year. But you're right. I think this is the trio that we should see going forward. And with almost all the names that you mentioned there, I think Richie Martin could be the biggest exception there. You're not really learning much. With all the games that those guys started, and Pat Vileka started 46 games at second base, Stevie Wilkerson started 18 games, Rio Ruiz started 17 games at second base for a position that has been largely a black hole this season. Not only were you not able to fill that spot with a potential trade candidate like you were at shortstop, at least at shortstop you had Freddie Galvis there, and he ended up getting traded, and that made sense. Second base... You weren't having a trade candidate play that position, and you didn't have anybody that you thought was going to be a piece of this team for the long term. You know, you were just kind of filling it to... It was just a series of stop gaps. I mean, Rio Ruiz, we thought, maybe had a little bit of juice left uh, when he started at second base on opening day, and you just wanted to see what he could do defensively at the position because he'd never really played it, and he was still fairly young at 26, but... Odds were he was not going to stick around long-term. So it was just a series of stop gaps that made it more difficult to get invested in watching these guys play every day. The, the, the group that they have now is just much more compelling than the group that they've been throwing out for the majority of the season. I agree, but I also think... I, I wouldn't go as far as to say there was no real point of throwing these guys out. I don't think they were purely stop gaps. I know they were just kind of filling the position because you were waiting on somebody like Jemai Jones. Jorge Mateo wasn't on the team yet. But I, I think it's a little unfair to say there was nothing to gain from having them there aside from just kind of filling time. Like I didn't not think nothing. Not, not, not I didn't think Ramon Urias would be a piece going forward. Right. But he has played very well and I would have thrown him at the beginning of the year under the category of Rio Ruiz, Pat Vileka, of probably not, but maybe. I To me, I mean, Ramon Arias has always had a little bit of a higher ceiling than Stevie Wilkerson's, love the guy, 28 years old, right. 29 at this point, and we've seen him get an extended major league audition, and he hasn't done anything with it, and he's no longer in the organization. Pat Vileka's around the same age, 30, so... Those guys, I think, n not nothing. That's a little harsh to say that there was nothing to learn. But there wasn't, there just was not a very high percent chance that any of these guys were going to hit. Right. I think Ramon Arias, because of his age, started the season at 26, now he's 27, uh, because he had not had very many major league games under his belt coming into this season, that you had a little bit more to learn. But to me, I mean, you could have learned Maybe that Pat Vileka could have been a bench piece going forward. Maybe Stevie Wilkerson makes an adjustment and it works for him. But those guys had had their shot. And for the most part, they had not make it, made the best of it. Yes, I, I would agree. I would have thrown a Rios in the category of kind of Rio Ruiz of 
they're still young enough and they've still flashed here and there not much but maybe if there's some certain adjustments to be made but I think honestly out of that group of names that I threw out you're pretty happy with the fact that you think you might have a piece with Ramona Rios out of that group because that works at that point that strategy works of kind of just running through this laundry list of guys that you don't think have a high percent chance of being a piece moving forward. But if you found one of them in Ramon Urias, who might not be your starting third baseman going forward, but maybe he'll be a solid bench piece that can come in and play multiple infield positions, you're happy with running through that list of guys and finding a versatile piece in Ramon Urias. If it got you to Ramon Urias, exactly. that's worth it. Yeah, absolutely. The, the only other one that, you know... I think was frustrating for fans to watch was Michael Franco getting regular starts, especially after the trade deadline at third base. And the Orioles kind of rectified that by designating him for assignment uh, a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago now. Um, And that was the corresponding move that brought Jemai Jones up. That had to be done uh, because really the only reason to play him going up until, you know, he, he was a clear stopgap at third base and you were hoping that he would somehow rectify his his trade value a la Freddie Galvis and be able to be shipped for some low-level prospect. That didn't happen. So then you get past the trade deadline and you say, all right, he's still starting games at third base. He's hitting 210. He has a 609 OPS. He's been playing injured. I give him credit for a lot of the season, but you're not learning anything and he's not going to be back with the team next year, almost definitely, because... Signing, I think you could call it a little bit of a bust, but that's what you get, you know, you, you kind of get what you pay for there, and that the Orioles weren't expecting anything great out of Michael Franco when they signed him to a one-year $800,000 deal. Yeah, I would agree. There was really nothing that you were going to learn from Michael Franco still getting starts yeah, at third. There's nothing to gain there. Right. I think it was probably just a case of the Orioles might not have been quite ready to call up Jemai Jones. Yeah. They weren't ready to call up Ryland Bannon. So I I think that's probably just you start Michael Franco at third because that's the guy that makes the most sense to start at third. Yeah. And then once Jemai Jones is ready, you can shift Ramon Rios over to third or you can move Jorge Mateo around, whatever you need to do. I think that was probably just more of a case of Jemai wasn't ready yet. Let's not push it. I I get it from the the everyday Brandon Hyde, Michael Elias perspective. I'm just saying from the fan perspective that's where the frustration comes from and I understand it but I also understand why he started you know after the trade deadline is because they didn't have anybody else that they felt was ready to take over that spot and Jorge Mateo didn't join this team until a few weeks ago that's a roster spot in the infield that they weren't expected to have Jemai Jones they didn't feel was ready to play until a couple weeks ago so he had to start there but you just weren't learning anything by having him out there uh, every day so you DFA him. That opens up a much-needed roster spot. Now you have the group. I mean, with the exception of Kelvin Gutierrez, who I think is a fills another, you know, the category of he's here because Ryland Bannon's not ready. Um, this could be your Orioles infield on opening day 2022 with Jemai Jones at second base, Jorge Mateo at shortstop, uh, and Ramon Arias, maybe shortstop, second base, with the potential of Bannon coming up and playing third. Yeah, and not only could it be the Orioles infield for next year, I think you can make a pretty solid case that it should be. Yeah, at least to start the year. Right. I mean, Jorge Mateo has shown you more than enough to say that he at least deserves a spot. 
to start at second or short. I think you probably start Jamai Jones at second base next year as well. But Mateo's been really good so far. Yeah. I mean, he's hitting 324 with the Orioles since coming over for the Padres. He's got no PS over 838 extra base hits. He's obviously electric on the base pass. He's a pretty solid defender. I think he can improve on the mechanics of things, but he has the raw talent to stick there. So Jorge Mateo, I think, is making a very solid case to be somewhere in the Orioles infield for next year. Jemai Jones, I think he should probably start at second. And then third base is really the only toss-up. I think Ramon Urias needs to be on the roster somewhere for next year. Whether or not you want to start him at third base or sign a free agent, I think that's probably this the discussion, but Ramon Urias at the very least should be a utility piece in the infield. I would be interested to see how he does at third base because that would make him even more valuable to this team. The fact that he can bounce back and forth very easily between shortstop and second base makes him incredibly valuable for this team going forward. And I feel like he's got a job next year on this team. You know, he he has a major role on this team next year, whether he is starting on opening day or not. So he's proven in these 73 games with the team so far this year, hitting 272, 773 OPS, 36 RBIs. He's an RBI machine. You don't need to start him every day at a certain position in September because you know what you have in him pretty much going forward, at least for next year. The question is going to be, is Jemai Jones truly ready for second base? And this final month will tell you, I think. Uh, and Jorge Mateo, can he lock down a shortstop spot going forward? And this this final month of the season is going to be at least enjoyable to watch from that perspective because you're going to see 26-year-old Mateo at shortstop every day who is hit well, like you said, still needs to learn how to walk. I mean, he has six walks in 100 career major league games. <laughs> that is that is uh, Hanser Alberto level of, yeah. uh, of perhaps even worse. Uh, I think it's worse. Yeah, he, he's maybe start to learn from Ryan Mountcastle and what he's done, of, you know, second half of this season, learn to take some pitches. Uh, that is his clear room for improvement, but he has the tools. Can he lock down that shortstop spot? Can Jemai Jones lock down the second base spot? And then Ramon Arias, you can use him as a utility guy. You could try him out at third until Bannon is ready to go. So that's you you have a reason to tune in and watch this infield and there're now several guys in the lineup that you can say this guy's 26 this guy's 24 in Jemai Jones these guys could be here on the next Orioles playoff team yeah. you know maybe they're not the starters maybe you have Jordan Westberg starting on the next playoff team and you have Gunnar Henderson as your third baseman starting on the next Kobe Mayo on the next uh, Orioles playoff team but you have guys that you can at least look at and dream on right and it there's also it, it's encouraging to not have to look at the offseason and say okay here are x y and z right layering holes in the infield like the orioles needed a shortstop going into the year yeah in freddie galvis because ramona rias had not shown this caliber of play at any point in his major league career. And then you had Richie Martin, who was still injured at the beginning of the year. So you needed a shortstop. Yeah. You needed a third baseman. You went out and got Michael Franco. Thought the Orioles needed a second baseman, which they still probably did at the beginning of the year. Yeah. They get Yomer Sanchez, who pretty much everybody thought was going to be the opening day second baseman. So every position in the infield outside of first base 
was a pretty glaring need going into the offseason. Yeah. And now you can look at this Orioles infield and make cases for all three of these guys to be starters. And I don't think that if the Orioles don't sign an infielder this offseason, I don't think from a fan perspective, you would say, well, they don't have anybody. Right. They've got these three guys that are solid enough to be your starters for next and year. And they might end up being stopgaps. Like we said, they they might end up not lasting with this team long term, but at least there's they're more interesting than signing some guy that you definitely know is not going to be with this team long term. You know, you right. you knew that Freddie Galvis when he signed that deal was not going to be sticking around for the long term because he's signing a one-year deal and he's 30 years old. You knew Michael Franco was not going to be a piece of this team long term. For these guys, even if they are stopgaps, you have it, they are more entertaining and there's still a higher upside with all three of these guys. That that is a, a curious thing and we don't have to get into it too much now because we'll have the all, entire offseason talk about their team needs, but this final month will tell the Orioles how much of a need the infield is in free agency because if they are good enough going into next year, you could make a legitimate case. They may not need to sign anybody to a major league deal. I mean, they probably will. They're probably right. going to have to because odds are one of these guys won't pan out or won't look good enough in his extended audition in September to the point where they can convince you that he's going to be your opening day second baseman, you know, shortstop third baseman. Odds are Jemai Jones might struggle or Mateo's 324 average will fall or Arias might come back to earth. I think Arias is probably the most likely to stick around for next year. But, you know, maybe those a couple of these guys need more seasoning in the minors. Maybe they just aren't ready to be an everyday position player. So you may need to address those positions. But if they're good enough, and if Ryland Bannon continues to hit a AAA Norfolk, and if maybe Richie Martin comes back up, you could make a case that I'd rather see these guys than a one-year stopgap that you're definitely going to trade at the trade deadline. Yeah, and again, not to go on an entirely new tangent here, but you can look at the lineup from last night, say that that could probably be the team for next year. Outside of catcher with Pedro Severino, he's probably going to be owed a lot of money. Not sure what's going to happen there. But like you had Ryan McKenna, who can be a pretty solid fifth outfielder. I don't know. If you look at the Orioles lineup last night, Outside of catcher, one through eight or one through nine, whatever it was, they might be on the team next year and be solid contributors yes. for the 2022 Orioles. And it's a it's a much-needed development because we've talked about prospects not panning out this year and the, how the Orioles have kind of gotten unlucky with a combination of the top prospects getting hurt, top prospects just falling on hard times at the, the big league level, a lot of pitching prospects doing that. So to have this group of infielders come up together and have Jorge Mateo, I mean, fall into your lap. Yeah. I mean, great waiver claim at this point. And again, might not turn out to be anything, but 100% worth whatever, you know, what is the risk here? A roster spot. There is none. There is no risk. So he's absolutely worth it. Um, So it is just a much, much needed development for this team going forward. Um, I'm glad you mentioned Ryan McKenna. I think we're at a point now with Ryan McKenna where he is too good for AAA, not quite enough good for the big leagues. And that's okay because he's not 27 years old. He's, what, 24? I think just turned 24. So he's got some time. But this is the... Ryan McKenna is an interesting kind of litmus test because there are going to be a lot of guys that are on this this 
verge between, you know, too good for AAA, not quite enough good for the big leagues, and can they make the necessary adjustments? Because the, that is the biggest step they're ever going to have in their career to the point where they can make a case to stick around on this team. Yeah, and we can probably do an entirely new podcast just on the Orioles outfield and the potential for next year. But you're right. McKenna, every time he goes back down to AAA Norfolk, it seems like he hits three home runs in whatever games he's in and then comes back up to the majors and strikes and out three times. struggles yeah. at the plate. I think he is good enough to stick at the major league level right now. He's a very solid defender. You can stick him at any of the three outfield positions and he's good right now for the Orioles. because fast. He, Yes. And right now you've got Austin Hayes, who has been struggling with injuries, as he kind of always does. He's been struggling with that leg a little bit. Anthony Santander has been fighting through injuries all year. So if you need a solid defensive outfielder, Ryan McKenna is your go-to there. But the bat, something between AAA and the majors, is just not really translating all that well because he's been hitting too well in AAA, for you to not say he deserves a spot yes. at the majors and then he gets to the Orioles and it's just not right. translating. And, and that's where a lot of the rebuild will fall. Is, right. Is how many of those guys can make the adjustments. Because Ryan McKenna in AAA this year, 27 games, he's hitting 307 with an OPS over 1.1. At the big insane. league level, he's hitting below the Mendoza line. He's hitting 196 in 65 games with an OPS of 578. So... 24 years old again, like this is where the adjustment has to come because this offseason is going to be critical. Now he has at least the experience and he has tape to watch of himself in the big leagues. It's not like he's just toiling in triple A Norfolk, just, you know, hoping that he gets the call. He's going to have tape of himself against major leaguers and say, All right, what can I do to improve myself? And that's where the rebuild is where a lot of the uh, future of the rebuild rests. But I think he has earned a spot in the majors and he is I think he's good enough to stick here for a while and hopefully with the expanded we, roster we think. I mean 196 is not going to get the job done no but what else does he have to prove in AAA yeah exactly he's an elite Similar. defender in the outfield and he is in AAA at least an elite hitter so yeah, he doesn't gotta, have anything to prove you just got to hope he he has something to prove at the major league level. Yes. Nothing to prove at the AAA level. Exactly. Like you have to, you have to, this is a similar conversation that we had with Ryan Mountcastle at the beginning of the year. You just have to work with him and hope he figures it out. Because with when Mountcastle was struggling at the beginning of the year, we were saying, yes, he is struggling, but he has nothing to prove at AAA. So there's no point in sending him back down because he's just going to mash and he's just going to get easier pitches, and he's just not going to learn anything. Exactly. He's just going to have to learn. He's going to have to sink or swim at the major league level because he's not going to get better by facing worse pitching. It's right. just not going to happen. Yes, the improvement and the adjustment needs to come at the major league yeah. level. There's no point in sending him back down to AAA Norfolk, and hopefully with the expanded rosters today, we will see Ryan McKenna get an extended opportunity at the majors, and he won't have to bounce back and forth between AAA and the Orioles. Right. Um, all right. Well, we, we have those expanded rosters, not the massive 30-man rosters that we used to have in years past. We're just going from 26 men to 28 men. So that only leaves a spot for two guys. And for a lot of teams, that's honestly, that that is not going to be a spot that's going to be taken up by prospects for a lot of teams around no, Major League Baseball. Probably going to be bullpen help for yeah, most teams. For most teams. And, and, you know, COVID insurance, worrying about guys that a lot of playoff teams, if they get hit by breakthrough COVID cases, they could be 
in trouble in September. So I feel like it almost defeats the purpose. Yeah, I mean, look at the <laughs> Yankees infield. They've been hit with Gio Urshela was on the COVID list. Glaber Torres was on the COVID list. A team like that's probably just going to say, all right, what utility infielders can we bring right. in? It, uh, but for the Orioles, it does offer an opportunity for them to get a glimpse at a couple prospects. To me, I know a lot of people have been clamoring for Ryland Bannon. Personally, I don't think it's Ryland Bannon's time just yet. I think that he still has a lot to learn at the AAA level. Talking about McKenna not having anything to learn there. Bannon has a lot to prove at the AAA level. Uh, and I know that some fans are eager to see what he has because of the hot August that he has had, where he's got a 991 OPS in August, but he's cooled off a little bit. He's had only two hits in his last six games, and he's still on the season hitting 167. So to me, it's just not, he's just not quite there. And I would much rather have him get a little bit more seasoning at AAA than call him up just because you want to see him at to the big league level. I just don't think he's he's ready yet. I would agree that I don't think he seems like he's quite ready yet, but I think there's also a case to be made that he has made has spent so much time at AAA that like is has it he, is it worth just trying to see what you have with him at the major? He hasn't, but I think that I think that it may seem like he has spent a lot of time, but he hasn't because he only got like thirty five games. I have to look up exactly, but he he got basically a month at AAA in twenty nineteen where he hit very well. He did, but a month. Yeah. And then he had 2020, which is he spent the time at the alternate site. And then he gets hurt this year. And then, yeah, so in he had 20 games at Norfolk in 2019. So that's, that's not much. And then has the 2020 year at the alternate site, 2021, gets hurt, has to bounce down to Aberdeen for a time, and comes back up to Norfolk. So 59 games this year. So he's only played fewer than 80 games at the AAA level. So... To me, that's not like he spent so much time that you have to call him up. Right. It, I guess it's if when you have the 20 games in 2019 where he performed well, you have the alternate training site in 2020, which is obviously different than a minor league season. But there have been a lot of guys that have said that that benefited yeah. them a lot. So I know you're not seeing the same kind of pitching, but he's facing good Orioles pitching prospects, of which they have many. So hopefully you're getting some good reps there. And then he spends the entire season at AAA this year where, yes, he has struggled. But it just kind of seems like we've talked about Ryland Bannon all year, and it feels like he's been on the precipice for a while. He, it, it may feel like that, and I, I think it's similar to using Diaz, but just because it feels like it, I don't think means right. it is. Yes. I don't think he is... He still has to be there talent-wise and maturity-wise, maturity on the baseball field-wise, not, you know, off-field maturity. And I just don't think he's there. And, and he did miss, like, two months of the season as well in the, in the middle part. So he hasn't spent the entire season with AAA Norfolk. I think there's also a case to be made to say he's – I'm just kind of, you know, throwing out random arguments here. He's also 25. I think there's a case where you could say, do you want him – to go back to AAA next year when he's 26 and just maybe like not hoping well, maybe something comes there. Maybe not to start 2022, but I think he should finish the 2021 season AAA Norfolk. Potentially. He, he may make the opening day roster if he performs well in spring training next year. Well, again, if you are thinking maybe he can make the opening day roster for next year, why not 
give him a little bit of September in the majors to see can he make the major league roster next year? Because he's hitting 167. Right. He just doesn't, like, the, the number is still, he needs to put it together for a longer stretch than just a month. I agree. So I'm not saying he's not going to get there, but that it, it's not just that, like, you're giving him a, his feet wet in September and that'll prepare him for uh, next season. He's also going to have the entire offseason to prepare. Right. So that he's going to have basically five months, six months, to get himself in shape to make a major league roster. So he's not there now. Six months from now, he may be. But to me, he hasn't he hasn't done enough to, to deserve a call-up. I would agree. The numbers do not indicate a, hey, you should call him up to the majors. I think there is just the case of he's 25. He was a top 30 prospect. He is no longer on that top 30 prospect list after his batting average from this year. The case is pretty much just we felt like Ryland Bannon should have been on the team this year as a 25-year-old prospect who we thought had a pretty high floor. So maybe you just give him a chance based on the pedigree going into the year. But you're right. What he has done this year has not inspired much confidence that he would come up to the major leagues right now and do any better than somebody like a Jemai Jones who's not hitting well so far. Now, one guy I think you could make the case for that he just needs to come up now because I don't know if you're going to learn much else from him at AAA is Richie Martin because he came up a couple weeks ago, got a small time frame at the big league level, didn't really show you too much, and then he gets sent back down to AAA Norfolk and he's hitting just 197 with them in 19 games. Richie Martin's a year older than Ryland Bannon. He's got to figure it out at some point. Yeah. If if that is at the major league level or at the AAA level, he's got to start hitting somewhere because the defense is good enough, but he, you really have questions as to what kind of role he could have on this team if he's not hitting that well. The defense is good enough, and he plays a valuable position at shortstop. Yeah. Rio Ruiz's defense was good at third base right. and second base, but you gave him time and he just didn't. I think Richie Martin, at 26 years old, with good prospects in the system that can play the infield, like we've already seen Jemai Jones and Jorge Mateo outplay Richie Martin at the Major League level. We've seen Ramon Rios consistently outplay Richie Martin at the Major League level. I don't know if Jones has outplayed him yet at the Major League level. Uh, Jemai has not outplayed him yet, but you want to give him an extended audition. You'd rather see Jemai Jones at this point, and he needs that extended period of time. The point being there, you're not going to play Richie Martin over Jemai Jones. Yes, at this I, point. I agree. So I hate to say it, but I think Richie Martin is getting dangerously close to the level of your audition time is pretty much coming to a close. You have not shown all that much at the major league level. He's really good defensively, and that provides value, especially at a position like shortstop. But if you are consistently below the Mendoza line at AAA, how is that bat going to translate? And I know he has had wrist injuries. And look, I yes. I know my I know plenty about wrist injuries, uh, so I know that that's tough to come back from, Brendan. Right, uh, <laughs> especially at the major league level, like yourself, like myself. I mean, with the immense talent that I had, that right. that set me back. I could have been I could have been a big leaguer, honestly, if I didn't break both my wrists playing tennis. Uh, he so he, he has those injuries that have set him back, but. 
would you rather have him play at the major league level and maybe not start every day, or would you rather give him every day at bats at AAA Norfolk? I think at this point, he kind of falls under his own little category of there's really no point in sending him to AAA because he's 26. Right. And like, what are you going to, what are you trying to learn about Richie Martin? You know, he's a good defender. You need to see if the bat is going to play at the majors. Are you going to give, like, are you going to give Richie Martin a year in AAA and say, okay, work on your stuff for a year and then come back to the majors when you're 27 and we'll see if the bat translates then. Right. Probably not. So I think at this point, you have to have Richie Martin at the major league level say, is the bat going to work or is it not? Because otherwise you're just kind of wasting time. Right. I would probably replace him for Kelvin Gutierrez. I would put Richie Martin as kind of your utility infielder. I wouldn't give him a lot of starts, but if somebody needs an off day, if you need to shift around Mateo or Jemai Jones or Ramona Rios, that's where I would start Richie Martin. And I would say, can you be a utility infielder off the bench that can hit decently well? Yeah, I think I wouldn't necessarily replace Kelvin Gutierrez with him because Gutierrez can legitimately play third, and I don't know if Richie can. I I kind of go by the rule of if you are a very good defensive shortstop, you can probably play third. You but probably can. But I don't know. Would, would you More complicated than that. Yeah. Um, the only case I think you could make to keep Richie Martin at AAA is just that he has not gotten at-bats. You know, right. he's just woefully short from an at-bat standpoint because of the amount of time that he has missed. So, like, you just want to give him reps. Like they're going to do with, I think, a lot of prospects. Maybe Zach Lowther is going to go to the Arizona Fall League because he's just missing innings, you know, for this year because of the injuries. Um, So I think that that's really the only case, but I agree. I think that at some point you just have to see what you have in him. He's just, he's a little too far down the list of infielders at this point. You're not going to start him over. You're not going to start him over Jemai Jones. You're not going to start him over Jorge Mateo. You're not going to start him over Ramon Arias. Where's he going to go? Yeah, exactly. Um, all right. One, guy, one other guy that I think they might call up, Mike Bauman. I think uh, of all the pitching prospects that we have seen struggle in AAA, and there, have, there has been uh, Zach Lyler, there's been Dean Kramer, uh, even Kevin Smith has an ERA over five, even Kyle Bradish has an ERA close to five at the AAA level. Mike Bauman continues to perform very well, and a guy that missed some time this year with injuries Still a top 10 prospect in the Orioles system, I think. I think with the midseason rankings, he just made the top 10. I believe he is 10. 10. Yeah. He's the fourth best pitching prospect in the Orioles' top 30. And in six games in AAA Norfolk, he's got a two ERA last night. Gave up just one earned run, uh, struck out seven over six innings. So he's got a fairly large sample size in AAA. And I know he made a lot of starts in Double A this year, so he's he's would be on his third team in 2021 if he gets called up. But another guy that I think this would be very similar to the Dean Kramer call up last year, in terms of or the timing. They called Dean Kramer up right around the beginning of September, and they just gave him a spot in the rotation. They said, "All right, let's see what you got. And if you're not ready, it's okay. It's only a month. You know, we right. can we can start you out at Triple A next year." Well, why not? Let's yeah. see what you have. So, it's a no harm, no foul kind of thing. He's Like you said, ERA of two in his six starts at Norfolk, that's not a very large sample size. Yeah. But I think it's enough to say he at least deserves a start somewhere 
in September for the Orioles, especially for an Orioles team that could really use guys in spot starts at this point. They're starting relievers like Chris Ellis. Yeah. Mike Bauman could fill into this rotation and at least get some starts at the major league level. Like you said, if he struggles, he hasn't spent that much time in Norfolk. It's not going to feel like he's backtracking. Right. If he comes up to the majors, struggles, goes back to AAA, you're just giving him a bit That's, of an early yeah. audition to see what he can do. If it doesn't work, you just start him at AAA next year. And if it does, maybe yeah. you have somebody in ro your rotation for the start of the 2022 season. Yeah, that's the benefit of the September call-up. It's it's just it's it, you know just a free look at these guys is right. really what it is. Uh, the one thing I do want to see if they do call up Bauman, though, I don't want to see them do with Bauman what they did with Lowther earlier in the year, and even Wells, which was you have him close one game, then you send him back down, you bring him back up, and he has to make a spot start against a very good team gets hit around, then he comes out of the bullpen. Just start him in the rotation. Yes. Because it worked for Dean Kramer last year. Didn't work for him this year, unfortunately. You have four weeks left in the season, four-plus weeks. Give him a start every fifth day because you just want to keep him on, especially for a guy who's missed time with injury this year, you want to keep him on a consistent rotation basis. And this guy can be a starter. So why not? Why not just start yeah. him every fifth, sixth day, you know, and just see if he can be a starter for this team going forward. And at this point, it's not like it would even be hard to just insert him into the pitching rotation. Right. Because there's a, right there's now, a spot there. you've got Means, Harvey, and Keegan Aiken seem to be the three that have solidified rotation spots that you need to be starting every five days. Is Chris Ellis solidified as a every no. fifth day kind of guy? No. So you've got three guys that are solid. Every fifth day, they get a start. Mike Bauman could pretty easily insert himself into that starting rotation. And there's really not a case to be made where you can say he needs to go in the bullpen because right. we need to give this guy a start. Right. You've there's already, nobody else. You've already moved guys from the rotation to the bullpen. You've exactly. You've moved Jorge, Lope, uh, Jorge Lopez to the bullpen. So you have that, that spot in the rotation. Um, so I, I think Bauman could be another guy. I think everybody else, for the most part, Bradish Smith, will probably have to wait until next year. Yes, I would agree. Um, all right, any any other guys that you think we haven't talked about that you think might earn one of those roster spots? Well, I think Alexander Wells, you could move up to yeah. the permanent roster spot. He's on the taxi squad right now, and he's probably going to make a spot start. I think if you have two rotation spots open behind Means, Harvey, and Aiken, I think one of them should go to Bauman, and I think the other one should be Alexander Wells. He struggled a little bit in Triple A Norfolk, but has been looking better. And he looked decent enough at the major league level. He wasn't lighting the world on fire during his starts for the Orioles, but he looked good enough to, I think, at least warrant a longer audition. So I think Alexander Wells is somebody that you could stick in the rotation, and then he and Mike Bauman could be the four and five for yeah. the rest of the year. Exactly. All right. Uh, I, I, I think Wells, yeah, I mean, he, he looked good enough. Yeah. I think that he's... He wasn't amazing, but no. he was decent enough to show some excitement and, and see yes. that there could be some room for improvement at the major league level. He doesn't have a ridiculously high ceiling, like we've said. He doesn't have crazy stuff, but... You know, might as well see what you have because he's been good at AAA. Yes. Unlike you know some of the count his counterparts, you're you know 
he is another guy that doesn't really, I don't think, has too much to learn from AAA. Yeah, his ceiling's not higher than a fourth or fifth starter. He's yeah. either going to be a back-end-of-the-rotation guy or a inning-eater out of the bullpen. Either way, it's valuable. Yes, agreed. All right, uh, one more thing before we get into most valuable Oriole voting. I do want to talk about Paul Fry, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. because we have seen this guy really, really fall from where he was a few months ago. And this was a guy that at the trade deadline was being discussed as one of the better lefty relievers on the market. And since that time, since the trade deadline, he's got an ERA over 10. His last outing for the Orioles loads the bases in the seventh inning after Jorge Mateo hits it. It was Sunday, hits a two-run homer to make this a two-run game. Paul Fry comes out of the bullpen in the seventh, loads the bases, and gives up a grand slam promptly. He looks like a very different pitcher. The Orioles optioned him down to AAA Norfolk. It is upsetting, to say the least. I don't know what's going on with him. I hope that he comes back at some point. I don't know when he's coming back. I don't know if he's come back this year or if they're just going to hope that he comes back in 2021, or 2022, excuse me. But for a guy that was potentially a trade piece at the deadline to be back at AAA Norfolk is very upsetting. Yeah, Fry and Brandon Hyde have both pretty much said that it's a confidence thing and he's just not pitching the way that he is used to pitching. Yeah. I mean, we forget with how bad his August was. He gave up three home runs in August. He hadn't given up an extra base hit since May yeah. before that. The dude was lights out before the deadline he had, and he had no homers allowed before the deadline. Right. Not a single one. <laughs> and it's it's easy to look at the trade deadline and say the Orioles should have traded Paul Fry. I think we can listen back to our trade deadline podcast and we both said at the time that it made sense to hang on to Fry and Scott if you didn't get yeah, wasn't great be the deals end of the world. for them because yeah. they were controllable relievers with good potential. So it's easy to look at the stats, knowing what we know now about how Paul Fry's month of August went and say the Orioles should have traded Paul Fry at the deadline because obviously given his struggles, they probably should have if they got a good enough deal. But at the time, it still made sense because he was pitching very, very well and was controllable and had potential in all of these things. Tanner Scott falls into that same category. You can make a case now, given the stats that we have for the month of August, that the Orioles should have moved both of these guys. But it's, it's hard to go back. It's just revisionist history. It is. To yeah. go back and say they should have moved them because at the time, I think both of us said it made sense. It was okay. Right. You, you, I remember you after the trade deadline, and I agree with you saying, the what's the downside of holding on to these guys that you have good bullpen pieces? That's that's not the end of the world. The downside, unfortunately, was a whole lot lower than we thought it was because yes. uh, Tanner Scott, since the trade deadline, before the trade li- deadline, two seven eight ERA. After the trade deadline, eight ten ERA. And it's the same thing. He's given up more home runs, two home runs before the deadline, and just and two home runs in the month of August alone. Um, he's throwing his slider way too much at this point. Ben McDonald has has mentioned it specifically. You have a blistering fastball, and he's just relying too much on that slider, it appears. Um, so both of these guys, I'm a little less worried about Tanner Scott because he hasn't been bad enough to have been optioned like Paul Fry, and he's still 27, whereas Paul Fry is 30. So, you know, that's 
less, slightly less of a concern, but I mean, you do, it appears that they did miss an opportunity to not get these guys, get some return for these guys. It does appear that way, but also, again, both of us just didn't see a world where Paul yes, Fry's ERA was over 10 in no. August and Tanner Scott's was over 8. It's it's impossible to think that these guys are just going to completely fall off. The the difficult thing is the front it's the front office's job to predict the future. Like right. that it, that's just how, you know, it's the same thing with where they we talked about them trading Mike Yastrzemski. Like nobody could have seen it, but that's your job. That's right. that, it's your the front office's job to figure this out. It's the same reason they, you know, you have to draft guys you have to predict you, you nobody knows you're all given the same amount of information who can make the right decisions here. right um and that not to say that these guys won't eventually come back and be quality relievers out of the bullpen tanner scott obviously still has an opportunity to do so at the major league level in 2021 but uh it is it is disconcerting uh and it, it is mitigated somewhat by uh, Tyler Wells coming back and being great. Awesome last night getting out of a jam uh, in Toronto. And he's phenomenal. Jorge Lopez looking pretty good out of the bullpen. So yeah. you have some nice bullpen pieces. Just yeah. like that. Uh, quick little two-second tangent. Uh, fantastic move by Brandon Hyde last night that he probably won't get enough credit for was putting Tyler Wells in that game in the seventh inning with Vlad Jr. up with two runners on base and two outs. I know Tyler Wells is your closer, but you put him in in the probably highest leverage situation of that game in the seventh inning, two runners on for Vlad Jr. Amazing call by Brandon Hyde there that he should get a ton of credit for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, We're going to, I think at some point during the offseason, we're going to have a podcast dissecting Brandon Hyde's tenure with the Orioles and talking about his future with the Orioles because I think that uh, the guy unnecessarily uh, gets some criticism from fans and it's understandable when you have a team that has 90 losses with a month left in the season but you know it, this is not his fault right we'll, we'll discuss different podcast later. for a different day uh last but not least let's talk about the most valuable oriole freddie galvis i think we can all agree it's freddie that galvis. it is kelvin gutierrez yes uh and nope it's gonna be cedric mullins yep uh, it has to be at this point i don't think you can make the case for anybody else to win the thing nope i think you should start engraving it now I think that there he has been by far, we don't need to talk about him. We've talked about him plenty. He's been by far the best Oriole. I think realistically the only other player that you could say has a case for most valuable Oriole is Trey Mancini. If you are looking at valuable in terms of just the value that he brings to the team, city, all of these things, I think you can make a case like, yeah, Trey Mancini, amazing story, comes back this year, plays pretty well. So if you want to look at valuable in terms of more in terms of the off the field stuff than the on field stuff, then maybe you can say we're going to give the award to Trey Mancini no matter what. But if you are, it's Cedric Mullins. Yeah. I mean, Cedric we don't Mullins, have to say that much more about him. Five baseball reference war, 4.9 fan graphs war. Ridiculous. He's, he's going to, he's going to garner some MVP votes some as AL, he should. AL MVP votes. He may not finish in the top. He's not going to finish in the top five. Probably. But maybe top 10? Yeah. He should finish Which in the top crazy. 10 for MVP voting. He goes from fourth outfielder for the Orioles to franchise centerpiece? <laughs> Ridiculous. In one year. Just unbelievable. He has... What a story for this guy. Pretty much single-handedly turned 
you know, it, he has made himself a key piece of the rebuild. Yes. Like, he is the center fielder of the future. All, it's not close. Yeah, and it's literally just him making the most of his opportunity. Yes. I mean, it's just entirely his, his doing. Uh, all right. Second, to me, has to be, in terms of voting, and, and we did vote for this award, so we're going to reveal our ballots here, yeah. has to be John Means. We're revealing our ballots. They're relatively obvious ballots, I think. It's also like not like we're voting for the Hall of Fame. No. <laughs> yeah. John Means, solidly number two. Yeah. Uh, 3.5 Baseball Reference War, 1.9 Fangraphs War, you know, 3.46 ERA if you're going back, counting stats, whip under one. And when you talk about value to this team, value, what position have they needed more than starting pitching? None. They have had gotten so... He single-handedly drags down the, the ERA of this pitching staff by like half a run, just based on the performances that he's had this year. They have had no other guy in this rotation who has been nearly as good as John Means has been. Yes, he is so far and away better than the second best starting pitcher for the yeah. Orioles this year that he pretty much has to be in the conversation for most valuable Oriole. And I think number two is a good place to put him. Yeah, I mean, and you talk about the Orioles of the past few decades, several since Mike Messina, not having good starting pitching pretty much. Yeah. Who is the last Orioles pitcher to have at least 20 starts and have an ERA under four? That'd be John Means a few years ago. Last time before that, Chris Tillman and Kevin Gaussman in 2016, which is a low bar, 20 starts and an ERA under four. But that just goes to show you how John Means has been the one bright shining star in a sea of not very good starting pitching. Yes, and I think he falls in that Cedric Mullins category as well, where he came into the season, means what you were a little more confident with than you were with Cedric Mullins, obviously. He had an all-star appearance under his belt, but I think means has moved from good starting pitcher for the 2021 season to, okay, we could potentially see this guy close to the front of the Orioles rotation for the next few years. He just has to be more consistent, right. definitely. Um, but at least he's in the conversation. Yes. This season has put him in that conversation. Yeah, and of course, the no-hitter is going to help as well. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Season. I don't know. If the Orioles finish dead last in terms of pitching ERA this season, staff ERA, I wonder what the last team was that had came in dead last in staff ERA and also had a no-hitter that season. That would be an interesting. That'd be a stat. fun like my, Jason Starks. My stat. guess would be like a Felix Hernandez yes, Mariners that's exactly team. Right. Yeah, that's my best but guess. But dead last in ER. That that's crazy. Yeah. Uh, all right, and then third to me, you could make a case for a couple guys. I gave it to Trey Mancini here because statistically, it's a toss up between him and Ryan Mountcastle. To me, you got to give it to Trey just because. He, look, he's obviously not going to win. Means is probably not going to win. Almost definitely not going to win. It's going to be go to Cedric Mullins. It's going to be Cedric Mullins. So, you, you know, he deserves to be on that list just because of the comeback year that he's had. Yes, and the number three spot is where I kind of take that definition of valuable and extend it more to the off-the-field things, the what he means in the clubhouse things, yeah. what he means to the city, all of that. I think Trey Mancini deserves to be at least in the conversation for most valuable Oriole. I know Cedric Mullins is running away with it, but the story of Trey Mancini is too good for him to not fall into the category of valuable. If we're yes. just looking on field, 
You can probably make a case for Ryan Mountcastle. You could even make a case for somebody like Tyler Wells, who has been a fantastic surprise out of the bullpen. But I think Trey Mancini, the definition is valuable. He has to be on the list. And and Mountcastle has more homers. Uh, his defense has gotten better, but Trey's still the better first baseman. Yeah, and there's other options there. Mountcastle has had a good year. Austin Hayes has had a good year and a fantastic month of August. Staying healthy a little bit, you can make a case for both those guys. Yeah, defensively, especially for Hayes. Right. I mean, Ramon Arias, you could probably make a case for as well. That The advanced stats don't really like Trey this year. Probably because he plays first base and yeah. not, you know, center field and or one of the corner outfields like Austin Hayes has done at a above average level and same with Ramon Rios, but it, it, it it's Trey. <laughs> yeah, it's Trey Mancini. Come on. Also, Trey has played in almost every single game this year. I mean, the guy has played in 124 games. Yeah, he's a second on the team in games played behind Cedric Mullins. A year after beating cancer. Yep. Did you just say that and I just didn't gloss over you in terms of games played? No. Oh, okay. It works. <laughs> Love not listening and then just uh, it's a benefit. We're rolling through it. Podcast. Uh, yeah, uh, other guys. I mean, that's that's the end of the list. I think. Yeah, you can just I think there's Mountcastle and Hayes are probably the only two guys that you could make a case for for that number three spot. One and two were locked down pretty much in that order of Mullins, Means, and then yeah, the third spot. I, in my opinion, goes to Trey. the The award is going to be presented last homestand, probably that last Sunday of uh, the regular season. So I think that's the very end of September, and then they play a weird three-game road trip at the end of the year. I think they go back to Toronto for three games in the first weekend of October, and then they're done. Very strange. It's going to feel like that's not really, like they're going to be exhibition games. It's going to be the Cedric Mullins MVP tour as he wins American League MVP. Uh, Exactly. Over Vlad Jr. (laughs) And (laughs) Shohei Otani. Yeah. It's going to be Cedric Mullins. Uh, well, thank you so much for tuning in this week. We will be back in a week, and uh, we'll know who has taken up those extra roster spots. Yeah. And we'll have uh, more to discuss as well. And uh, it will probably be neither of the guys that we said. Nobody that we mentioned, nope. because we're terrible at making these predictions. Of course, you can listen <laughs> to the podcast on any podcast platform that you so choose. Watch live on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Thanks so much to Bobby Blanco for making the trip up here during the storm. It's going to be a harrowing drive home for everybody. Uh, of course, stay safe this week, definitely, uh, because it's it's going to be thunderous rain, Yeah, I think, in the city of Baltimore. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. He's at Brendan Morty on Twitter. I am at Paul Mancano on Twitter, and we will see you in a week.